You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins here with me in studio as well. And Mike Chappell joins us from his Beach Grove estate. Uh, hello, Colts fans. You have a three and one squad for you. Not too shabby. We'll preview the Colts week five road trip to Cleveland coming up. Details, keys to the game, make predictions. Also go around the league with uh, news from around the NFL. And it was another significant week for news in the NFL with uh, COVID-19 updates galore. But uh, since Joe and Mike give their uh, takes on last week, earlier in the week, I don't get the chance to do that. I'll again, start with, with mine really quickly. Y'all out there better be ready for some ugly football this year, dude. You, you had better be ready because it's going to be defense. It's going to be running the ball. There are going to be times that the Colts push the ball down the field. We saw them take one or two deep shots, the deep one to T.Y. Hilton that got a penalty. Uh, they got a good long pass interference penalty comes to mind immediately. Like They're not going to be a team, Joe and Mike, that push the ball down the field. They're going to be a team that takes shots down the field. It's going to be sporadic. It's not going to be common. You have to be a really patient fan to fall in love with a team like this. And there are going to be weeks where you win ugly, and there are going to be weeks when you lose ugly. It's going to be an ugly game, and you're going to look at it, and you're going to want to throw the baby out with the bathwater like many people probably wanted to do after the Jacksonville game. Um, but uh, if if you win, like I said, if you win ugly, you lose ugly. So, Mike, this is just going to – to me, it's going to be a year where Colts fans have to be patient – uh, and, and not overreact to to the necessarily good things or bad things that happen because this is a team that is going to grind it out. And they've proven that they're they're pretty good at grinding out. But like I said, it ju- it's just a different Colts team than many fans are used to. Yeah, I mean, I think the perception was with a lot of us is when they bring in Rivers is they had to get an upgrade over the quarterback. They simply had to. That this meant they were going to push the ball down the field more, be more aggressive, and that's not been the case. Even against Jacksonville, there, there weren't that many deep shots. It was more the underneath, you know, 75% completions. And I still think they I still think they need to be more of a threat down the field. And TY, we talked to him today, and he can say all he wants about team player. I'm doing what they asked me. They have got to get him involved uh, as more than a, a third and seven guy. So, but you but I think you're right. Uh, we're not gonna see. This isn't Andrew Luck's offense. It's not. We're not going to see that aggression. Uh, but having said that, if you're going to run the ball, you got to run better than 3.5. And they can give us all the rationale about kneel downs and situational and fourth four minute in the fourth quarter. They're not running the ball well enough. Joe, I found that personally, I found that explanation from Colts coaches about the 3.5 yards per carry or low in the NFL, lowest in the NFL to to be to be very lacking. I mean, there are a lot of winning teams that do that exact same thing, and they're not dead last in the league in rushing uh, rushing yards per attempt. So uh, it's something that needs to improve. Like I said, it's been ugly so far, but you'll take three and one with ugly. You'd rather just have it be a little bit more pretty at times. Yeah, I mean, the Colts coaches harped all offseason of explosive plays. We need more explosive plays. Well, they haven't exactly come yet. I mean, I think the Colts have one rush of 20-plus yards this season. Correct me if I'm wrong. But we're still waiting on those explosive plays. And as long as they're winning, it doesn't seem as bad. But they start to lose a couple games, and the fingers are going to start being pointed. And, and anybody who who thought that uh, Jonathan Taylor could come in and immediately be Marlon Mack, and, and there would be no drop-off, and there would be no change, I, I think you're seeing now 
now that there are some growing pains with a rookie running back in the NFL. It's not like Joe says, if running backs are just ir- uh, exchangeable and who cares and let Marlon Mack walk after this season. And Jonathan, I- I'm joking, but uh, Mike, I-, I think we we've seen probably a little bit more of the value of Marlon Mack these past couple of weeks um, in the sense that Jonathan Taylor has not, uh, he, he's not been terrible, I don't think, but he's certainly not busting those plays like Joe was mentioning that I think some of the Colts uh, coaching staff had alluded to in the offseason in terms of uh, making more um, more explosive get plays in the run game. Yeah, but I'm going to put a lot of that on the coaching staff. There, there, he had 17 carries last week, seven in the fourth quarter on that long drive. So, you know, the, the really good backs, you feed them and you feed them and there's three, four, and then there's 15 or there's 40. So, but I believe that if Marlon Mack was still in his offense, he would be getting more consistent carries than what Taylor is. They've just been really, really committed to getting Hines and Wilkins their their touches, which okay, that's. But I think you need to give more Jonathan Taylor more than ten carries in the first three quarters of a game. And also, Joe, there was a stat that I saw when I was watching the game. It said that through the first three quarters, the Colts had, I forget if it was seven or eight, but it was either seven or eight plays for negative yards. And when you have what's billed as one of the best offensive lines in the league, you can't have seven or eight plays for negative yards in three quarters of a football game. Yeah, I saw, you know, Sirianni kind of mentioned, no, he's happy with how the offensive line is run blocking. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor, as the year goes along, will kind of figure out how to come off those blocks and how to read them better. And I, I hope he's right. But this offensive line is still one of the best in the league. Maybe not quite as dominant as we thought they might be. I think there's some steps. This, about, yeah, go ahead, Mike. How about fourth and one at Jacksonville in the first quarter? With the game you could have put away, and it wasn't Jonathan Taylor. It was not. He minds getting smothered. So, and again, it's four games. We're past the small sample size. I'm sorry, it's a quarter of the season. And I think pass protection has been strong. We've got a quarterback who cannot avoid sacks. He won't. He won't be Jacoby Brissett avoiding 10 sacks. But the run blocking hasn't been good enough. Short yardage has not been good enough. Uh, the, the first drive in the third quarter at Chicago, when you can really put them away, it's 13 to three. And I think it was a third and one. And who was it, Hines or Wilkins? Just gets smothered. Uh, so it, it's not good enough. At least you see a reason that it should get better. We'll see with Costanzo this week. I We're not going to know until the weekend on Costanzo and, and the ripple effect on him not being there. That could be, will be immense. And we'll get to uh, more injury updates and looking forward to the Colts-Browns game in a little bit. But first, we peruse around the NFL right now and a uh, second straight significant w- w- week in terms of battling the uh, the coronavirus in the NFL is two new positive tests in Tennessee uh, reported uh, from ESPN on Wednesday. Uh, that immediately puts Sunday's Bills-Titans game in a little bit of jeopardy. Uh, the Titans put Corey Davis, their wide receiver, on the reserve COVID-19 list. So their their list is a, a bunch of players right now. Um, some some uh, names that are significant names. Adam Humphreys, another wide receiver. Jeffrey Simmons, the young defensive lineman. Um, let's see. And then a report came out also on Wednesday from um, a, a local guy there in, in Nashville, Paul Kutarski, uh, Kuharski, excuse me. Uh, that a group of Titans actually broke the team protocols by gathering to practice at a Nashville prep school last week 
after their team headquarters was closed due to a COVID-19 outbreak. And then again, Adam Schefter reported today on Thursday, as we, report this, uh, as we record this podcast, that another Titans player had a positive test this morning after, and also an inconclusive positive test yesterday it was a confirmed positive test. So like, th- th- nothing sounds good, Mike, coming out of Nashville right now. Um, and with, with, with how Tennessee continues to, if you continue to get new positive tests, your facility is not going to open. If your facility is not going to open, you're not going to practice. If you're not going to practice there, as we saw, the NFL says you're not going to practice anywhere. You can't come and, and, and collect elsewhere and then keep spreading, keep potentially spreading the virus. If you don't practice at all this week, you're not going to play over the weekend. And, and and right now, for the second week in a row, the Titans are very much in danger of missing out on a game. And, and it's uh, one domino leads to another. And, and what eventually they're if if it continues like this, two men are going to fall. But right now we're, we're in that danger zone of, of that potentially happening. How can you even imagine they play Sunday? I mean, it's hard. It, I don't think it's possible. You know, the, the, the soonest they're going to be in the building is probably, I don't know, Saturday. Right. I, I don't know. So, so this is going to, this is where we're going to see how the NFL handles this. They really were fortunate last week where they were able to rearrange a few things and get the Pittsburgh game rescheduled. But now what do you do? Uh, it's not going to be easy to add another game. Are they going to add a week? Let's we'll talk about adding an 18th week to the season for these. Okay, let's say you do that. What if it's the same team you got to reschedule two games? You can't do it. I wish there was a prop bit, and Joe probably knows this since he's the gambler in our midst. What, what are the odds on all 32 teams playing 16 games? Hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd take that, and I'd bet my mortgage on it and feel good about my money. Uh, so, again, but there's talk, too, that, that the Titans violated protocol. They, they were told by the league, and they were told by the team that as long as the facility is closed, there is no in-person contact. And they went out and practiced. So if you want to be knuckleheads and impact your own team, fine. But now you're intact in the Buffalo Bills and in, in, you know, in other teams as well. So will they go to the extreme of forfeiting a game? Probably not. But, you know, if, if the NFL is going to put some, some teeth into what they're saying and really say, you can't do this. It can't be another $100,000 fine or whatever for the mask. It's got to be a gut punch, draft picks, whatever. Joe, uh, another report that that you've listed here and in uh, your copious notes for the week saying that the athletic reporting that multiple executives say it's been, quote, an open secret, end quote, that the Titans were not strict in enforcing their mask guidelines. So um, if indeed an NFL or NFLPA investigation can look into what's been going on, can determine for sure the league and the team told Titans players, hey, you guys can't practice when you're outside of team headquarters. If they can determine for sure that the Titans were not strict on enforcing their mask guidelines, uh, the mask guidelines, not mask guidelines, excuse me, um, that then the punishment is going to, it's going to be more severe. As we've saw in previous weeks, you see head coaches like Mike was just alluding to get a hundred dollar fine and the team gets a hundred thousand dollar fine. And, and and then the NFL hints at possible draft picks and suspensions. I think draft picks and suspensions is the is the uh, floor for the type of punishment if the NFL can can prove that the Titans were doing something that was directly against what the league had told them to do in dealing with this situation. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think at very least some draft picks get taken. We've seen that happen in the past. And 
I mean, say this kind of thing continues. I don't think we're that far off from forfeiting games. I mean, eventually you're hindering your opposing team by your own decisions. And so they're just going to forfeit the games. And I guess, I guess would the bills get a win there or just a one? And it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds, but certainly I think the NFL is going to come down harder than they did for the masks. Cause this is a much bigger deal. Yeah, Mike. It, it, because again, what you're looking at is they're three and oh, the Colts are three and one. What happens in December if the Colts are, are 10 and four in Tennessee has, has only played nine games or whatever. I mean, that's, that's a stretch, but, but at what point I realize, you know, a win percentage or whatever you want to do for the division, but what, what if Tennessee doesn't play, but 13 games or whatever. So it really, like I say, it's one thing to be a knucklehead and impact your own team. Uh, Mike Rabel yesterday in their, in a press conference, he said the players were told do not get together. So it's not like, there's not much investigation that they have you to do. Think, yeah. You know, he said. So I, I really want to see how how hard the NFL comes down because if Jones giving your six year old a timeout, a five minute timeout in the corner, and more than just the Titans. Uh, sorry, are you done? And it's got to be something that's serious, so that not just the Titans. Everybody gets the message. And it's been more than just the Titans who've been impacted directly by coronavirus this week as Patriots corner Stephon Gilmore also tested positive. So immediately you look forward to what's on top on tap for the Patriots this coming week. And it's the uh, Patriots Broncos game uh, on Sunday. Um, the good news, the Patriots, t- uh, their opponents last week, the Chiefs, who they played, there are no positive tests on Wednesday for the Chiefs and the Chiefs play the Raiders uh, this Sunday as well. So, uh, I mean, Joe, I mean, you, you feel good that the chiefs, that, that the chiefs seem clean, but again, the, the Patriots were under question last week. You saw that the reports that cam had uh, Corona coronavirus and he didn't play last weekend. So now that you, you see Stefan Gilmore again, this is something that like it, it's, it's, it's lagging, you know, it's like, Oh, I thought we were, we were past this when you, when you play the game, I think that could be a, a logical conclusion for someone just watching it on TV. Oh, the Patriots got through it. Cool. N- no, they haven't. This is something that, that is, has, has reared its ugly head again. And, 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 and we, we are forced here to talk about it again. Yeah. I mean, it, it's difficult because I mean, based on my understanding, it's not something where like, okay, you're in contact with someone who has it. And then exactly three days later, you start testing positive and showing symptoms. It can happen on different timelines for different players. Yeah. And so that's what makes this tough is you don't know exactly when you're past it. Another thing is, I mean, the Patriots, man, like the coronavirus is going after their best two players in right? Cam Newton and defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore. It's almost like someone's starting to sabotage them. I, I won't go that far, but it's, but, it's. But there was a report that they had dinner together uh, on Friday night. So now whether I don't know whether the timeline, whether Newton had been, well, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have tested positive and then gone out for dinner. You wouldn't think so. No, I hope not. I, that, that would be the ultimate. Uh, and, how, and, and, how, and that's the fear. How'd that work out for the Patriots when you lose your quarterback and you go with Brian Hoyer? Right. And, and until had the, that they had to go with the other kids. So I liked your tweets that night. Every five minutes when Hoyer did that, you're just like, Hoyered, Hoyered, Hoyered. <laughs> we, thought, we saw it. I mean, did, didn't we see it last year against yeah. the Miami? So I, and, and that that's the thing with, with this virus is, they can give you an extra 16 players for your practice squad. And, and the Colts have done that with – they've added a couple linebackers on the practice squad in case – not in case, but because of injuries this week. 
but it's it's the selective infection and who gets it and how you can move forward. So I, and again, we're the scary part, the nervous part is we're only a month into the season. Mm-hmm. And, and if we think that this is going to be the only outbreak, we are kidding ourselves. Uh, also non uh, COVID-19 news around the league this week. And we'll stay right in the AFC South. Houston Texans have fired their head coach and general manager, Bill O'Brien. Hired in 2014, so he's been the head coach with the Texans for six years. He won four division titles in those six years. But still, see you later. That's that's not good enough for uh, for Houston. So their team is 0-4 this year. There are reports of a blow-up in practice between uh, J.J. Watt and head co- former head coach Bill O'Brien. Uh, so he's gone. Robio Cornell takes over as interim head coach. Mike is um, as up and down, we will say, as Bill O'Brien's tenure has been with Houston, it's hard to imagine a team firing a head coach that has won four division titles in six years. It, it To me, it just is. And, and I, I understand why, because, heck, we've been here covering it because uh, I've seen the downs and I've seen what they did last offseason right now and getting rid of uh, DeAndre Hopkins, your boy. Uh, and they're, they've started terribly this year. But at the same time, another side of me says, what more do you want with four division titles in six years? That's, that's a pretty darn good job for a head coach. You know, you could almost, almost, not quite, but almost compare this, the resumes, to Chuck Pagano. You, re- you really could. H- how they had the success early on in the three division titles and the three, or the two division titles, I think, and three playoffs and an AFC title game. But, but then when you look at it for – it, it went beyond that. And, and with O'Brien, the, the playoffs, they never really – they never maxed. They never seemed to max out what they had. And similarly with what they what happened here, they'd beaten the hell out of Deshaun Watson. They really have. And when you make moves they make that were dramatic, I guess, and it seemed like it was a win-now mentality. Uh, and when it doesn't happen, do you think Watson went to – management this week and said, Hey, uh, can we nullify that, that Hopkins deal? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's one of those where you would think this is a very, very attractive job because you've got the quarterback in place, but you've got a, you've got a, a an aging and an injury prone JJ Watt. And I've not looked at it very deeply, but apparently they're in cap hell. Yep. Moving forward. So I, you know, the quarterback's one thing, but when you look at the, the structure, it's not going to help you now. You're not going to get that big bump in the cap. So I'm interested to see where this goes. Hey, how about Josh McDaniels? Let's send him down there and see how that works out. Perfect. Yeah, he'll also need a general manager, like I said, because Joe uh, Bill O'Brien was both head coach and general manager. So really, I'd imagine that there'll be two different people who will fill those two jobs coming up next year. Well, and you almost wonder if Bill O'Brien was not also the general manager, if he might still be around. I feel like part of what led to this decision is – his very questionable moves that he's made over the past several years, if they just led it to coaching and then you could go, Oh, well, look at the four division titles. But I think part of his decisions and decision-making with personnel played into this firing. So, so the Colts will face a uh, slightly different Texans team coming up later this year, COVID-19 permitting. When we look forward to this weekend, Colts against the Browns, it will likely be a slightly different Colts team that we see on the field because the injury bug has finally hit the Colts uh, fairly significantly. On Wednesday, the Colts who missed practice were 
Left tackle, Anthony Costanzo with a rib injury. All-pro linebacker, Darius Leonard with a groin injury. Also linebacker, Bobby Okariki. He had a thumb procedure earlier this week. Also linebacker, EJ Speed was limited out on the field with an elbow injury from this week. Uh, Today on Thursday, I'm just looking from reports. uh, Mike and I weren't specifically out of practice, but we both saw some multiple media reports saying Anthony Walker was not on the field today. That could be rest, whatever. The official Colts injury report comes out later today on Thursday. So, so this will be dated by the time you listen to it. (laughs) Such is life, you know, when we record a podcast and send it out to you folks. But uh, nevertheless, Mike, I, I know looking at that list, which name jumps off the page to you because uh, you, you've said he's your most indispensable Colt. And if, if Anthony Costanzo is out and the Colts offense, it really, it really changes because I think of the, uh, of just what's behind him. And, and that's your main reason of making him your most indispensable Colt. When we talk about that. Yeah. The, the drop off is immense. I mean, it just is. And I, you don't want to knock the guys that are back there, but, but, you know, the stat that jumps out, they're one in nine when Costanzo does not play. So I re- that, that's in the T.Y. range. I think, I think they're like one in 11 without T.Y. So it, it, it's just that what he does, he, he gives your offense an opportunity to function, to, to function without going crazy on protections. And in a game like this, maybe they, maybe they give him occasional protection or, or help with Miles Garrett and these guys, but maybe not. You know, maybe you need to help Braden Smith, but without him, how much can you run? How much do you have to keep people in? I remember back in the Manning days with Tarek Glenn, they, they, they very seldom offered help. It was always their approach was five guys out on patterns to, to run your offense, and somebody's going to beat somebody and you're going to get stuff done. Costanzo gives you that type of capability. We'll see because it won't be the, it, it won't be and it can't be the same without Costanzo. Joe, on the other side of the ball, uh, the Colts linebacking core. We went into this season, we saw, hey, they have seven linebackers in their uh, training camp. I wonder if they're going to cut anybody. Nope, they keep all seven linebackers on their fifty-three man because they love their seven linebackers. But who would have thought after four weeks of the season? Uh, there are like three healthy linebackers out there right now. And we don't even know if Anthony, well, I'm going to assume that Anthony Walker is having a rest day today. I'm going to assume, but that might not be accurate. Uh, he could have tweaked something who knows and walked through or yesterday. And he's just not out there today. So that's, that's just me spitballing. But if Walker's out there, there are three guys right now who are healthy uh, because you are out uh, Darius Leonard, Bobby Okariki did return to practice today with a big wrap around his hand, but he had thumb surgery. That, that doesn't sound good. EJ Speed was limited. So the fully healthy guys, Anthony Walker, Zaire Franklin, Syracuse University, and rookie Jordan Glasgow, who blocked a punt last week. But there's a big difference between playing special teams like Franklin and Glasgow do and stepping in and playing 50 to 80 snaps like you asked Darius Leonard or uh, Anthony Walker to do, Joe. Yeah, and they're about to play a team in the Browns. They're going to run the hell out of the ball. They're going to need three linebackers on the field. It's not like, okay, we can go down to two and play, you know, another defensive back. They're going to need their guys out there. And, you know, if they can't go, it's going to greatly hinder what they want to do against a Cleveland Brown team that just wants to pound them. 
You also saw cornerback uh, TJ Carey return to practice on Wednesday on a limited basis. He missed last week's game with a hamstring injury. So the Colts are certainly optimistic that, that he'll come back. But uh, Mike, Mike, I've been thinking, I've been talking things over with some folks here in the office here, Fox 59, CBS4. By the way, you can go online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Check out all of Mike's work there. Um, just that there's no sense in practicing Anthony Costanzo or Darius Leonard for sure this week. Like if, if at all that there's any, there's any, what's the word I'm looking for? If there's any reason, I don't understand it. So I would say, keep Anthony, keep Darius on the sidelines. I don't think they need to practice going into this game. I would be surprised if either of them practice entering Sunday, but that doesn't mean they're not going to play Sunday. We'll have to hear from Frank Reich on Friday. And then we'll see what the injury report says over the weekend. But I would doubt either of them see a second of, pra- of practice. If they do, if even of them is limited on Friday, I think that's a really good sign for Sunday. Yeah, and, and we talked about Darius today. And the problem, what, what, what you're concerned about is him going out there and, and aggravating it, and, and then you're out a month. Exactly. And that's what you don't want to – at the risk of maybe not winning this game because you're holding somebody – not holding them out because they're not ready – uh, and I don't think we're going to know even after Friday. I think it's going to be they're going to be questionable. Yep. And that's what you, that's what you do. You keep people guessing. But uh, it, it's amazing to me how these injuries hit positions. It, it really knocked the tight end position. It attacked the, the wide receiver position and now linebackers. I think maybe Anthony Walker didn't practice because his back sore from holding up the position. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, we'll see. And I, again, I, I'd like to have some idea what's going to happen on there tomorrow. I don't think we will. Three and one Colts, three and one Browns. FanDuel has the horseshoes favored at one and a half points over under set at 47.5. So if my math is correct, that's about a 25, 24 ball game, perhaps a 24, 23 ball game right around there is what we'll give an say. update. The over under is down to 46.5 today. Oh, now. Okay. It's a little bit lower. People like the Colts defense. They think that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that number one defense in the NFL can perhaps stop one of the most dangerous offenses in the NFL so far. But just like last week, we find ourselves asking how good are the Colts opponent? Last year, the Colts were kind of a barometer that the Chicago Bears could not match. Bears were 3-0, but we said, who'd, who'd they beat over that time? Nobody exceptional. So we asked this week, the 3-1 and Browns. That's a really good record. Well, who have they beaten over that time? They beat Cincinnati. Eh. They beat the Washington football team. Eh. And they beat the Dallas Cowboys, who are a recovered onside kick from the Falcons away from being 0-4. They're 1-3. Cincinnati might be the best of the group. It's entirely possible. I mean, and, it really could be. And the one, the one team that we can say is a good team that the Browns have played in the opener, Baltimore Ravens, Ravens embarrassed them 38 to six. So once again, the Colts find themselves as a barometer for another team. They come in and say, how good are you? And maybe it's for, for the Colts. It's the same thing. It's how good are you going up against this other team? We saw last week, Mike, that the Colts are look like the better team than the Bears. And it's these type of games that separate you as a like, you know, your wild card division winner playoff type team or the maybe not quite there. And the Colts, once again, like I said, proved last week that they're they're better than one of these teams. But this is kind of sorting out the middle of the pack of the NFL. Can you prove that you belong in that upper tier of teams that is a contender at come year's end? 
Yeah, I keep. I've not decided. By the end of this podcast, I will on, on who I'm going with. <laughs> I, I, I really think this defense is that good, but you're going to be without a couple of key players, probably at least Leonard, at least Leonard. And offensively, they 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 keep saying all the right things. I mean, when we need to score more points, we will. And we talked to Philip Rivers, and you know, if we have to score one more, all we have to do is score one more. If it's forty-one, or but you haven't done it, and you just can't keep having what was it, four field goals, three in the red zone last week. You can do that against the Bears, and that played a part in it, because when you're playing a game that's nineteen to eleven, you're not going to take the risk or be more aggressive when you know that field goals get the job done. But to think that they're going to win many 19 to 11 games is going to be the case moving forward. You, so yeah, I, go ahead. Until they can put up 30 without a couple of picks, I have questions about this offense. And Joe, and you look what the Browns have been able to do on, on offense. They, they, they've scored, like I said, six points against Baltimore was. But after that, you know, 35 against Cincinnati, 34 against Washington, 49 against Dallas. The run game has certainly led them there. They have the best running game in the NFL in terms of rush yards, yards per carry, and rushing touchdowns, a complete sweep. It's the triple crown right there. You can't imagine going in that this is going to be another 1911 type of ball game. You're probably going to have to score a couple more points. I have said earlier, the Colts can win ugly. That's cool. But but you can't rely on, like Mike was saying, you can't rely on it going up against an offense that you know is an explosive offense. Yeah, and it's these are two teams that want to win the same way. They want to run the ball Mm -hmm. and they want to play defense and stop the opposing team from running the ball. So it'll be interesting to see what team asserts himself. Uh, The Browns obviously without Nick Chubb who has an MCL injury, but I mean, it's a big loss for sure. But then they have Kareem Hunt waiting in the wing right there to pick up the slack. Um, Dearness Johnson looked pretty good against the Cowboys, but then again, who doesn't look good against (laughs) the Cowboys So the Browns still have a very viable running game. I mean, that offensive line is so much better than it was last year. They invested in right tackle Jack Conklin. Former Titan. Former Titan. They uh, used their first-round pick on the Alabama offensive tackle, Jedrick Wills. Um, He's starting over on the left side now. And um, this is pro football focus top-ranked running blocking offensive line. So they're going to be able to run the ball a little bit against the Colts defense. I don't think the Colts defense will be able to just completely eliminate the phase of the game like they did against the Bears last week. And if you looked at last week's game, you watched last week's game outside of the running game, which is good at just taking chunk after chunk after chunk and moving down the field. They also have tremendous playmakers at wide receiver. And even tight end Austin Hooper is a better than average tight end in the NFL, but specifically at wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. is proving this year that, well, he's, he's certainly doing a lot better this year than he did last year. Jarvis Landry as well as a, one of the better wide receivers that doesn't get as much credit as that top tier. I don't think he deserves to be up there. Definitely maybe the best wide receiver too in the NFL, the best left-handed quarterback wide receiver, perhaps (laughs) in the NFL as well Threw a touchdown to Odell last week, Uh, Mike, if, if Baker Mayfield does not make mistakes, and I know that that can be a big, if some weeks he's got a a, a heck of a group of weapons around him. And it looks like a really solid offensive line right now, playing some really good football. The craziest stats come out of that Dallas game. They score 49. They had 508 or nine yards. No 200-yard passer, no 100-yard rusher, and no 100-yard receiver. That's, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. 
so it just shows you the, how they can beat you. Now, one thing about the running game, again, what was it, 300 yards they ran for last week? 50 or so came on Beckham. So, so it, okay, but that's, they still got them. That's 250. So, so that's still pretty good. Uh, Even so, the Colts have to defend that too. Exactly. And that gives you something great. Right, you got to defend that. You got to defend uh, when Landry goes to his left on this direction or whatever, or are they going to throw it? So that's, that makes you spend time in your preparation on what they do. So, and what's crazy too, and I, I had to double check this stat. They're 30th in passing. I mean, I mean, Beckham is, or uh, Makefield has thrown 115 passes. In that's crazy. But that's because everything else is working. Yeah, you don't need to, Joe, throw the ball 25, 30, 40 times a game if your running game is playing as, as well as the Browns are right now. Exactly. And I would, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would guess at least half of his passes are probably off of the play action. And that's where oh, yeah. he's most effective. So they're going to run, 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 play action. 6.3 yards on attempt, which hmm. means that generally they're not pushing the ball down the field. On the other side of the ball, when you look at the Browns' defense, the one thing that stands out to me, at least, is takeaways. They, they, they lead the NFL in taking the ball away. They have four interceptions and six fumbles as well. I think I saw the Colts have seven interceptions, which I think might be the most in the league. Mm-hmm. I think I saw that. But, but hey, four interceptions and six fumbles. Like, Mike, that's, that's a defense that like, you have to hang on to the ball, and they're going to try to be swiping for it. And Especially it, with the rookie Taylor. Exactly. Yeah, and, and Taylor, we, we've said that in the past, that that was a question of him coming out of college. Um, th- this Browns defense is, is a takeaway machine. They have 11 sacks as well. They're allowing not too many rushing yards per game, the fifth fewest in the NFL as well, 91.8. The third most passing yards per game with 310. So you look at those numbers, you think maybe you are able to exploit the passing game as well. I also personally, you look at how the games have gone and they've got ahead of some of these teams like Cincinnati, Washington, Dallas, and they've had to throw the ball, you know, and they'll Mm -hmm. play a little bit more prevent style defense, maybe take a couple risks here and there. So it's enabled other teams to throw the ball a little bit more and gain more yardage. So you don't throw away these stats, Mike, but at the same time, you look at them and you think it might be a little bit more difficult for the Colts run game to get going. The passing game might have their opportunities on Sunday. Yeah, I would put more in what you said, though, that the teams are throwing against them. The teams aren't running against them because they're throwing against them. Yeah. I think this early, you can get that kind of skew in your in your stats. So, again, I think, I think you can run against these guys. And the Colts, given their druthers, They'd love to run about 35 times, but you can't average 3.5 doing it. I'm I'm looking up real quick that Browns-Ravens game from week one to see how many rushing yards the Ravens had. Hang on. They had... They didn't have a ton of rushing yards either, it looks like. They they threw the ball pretty well. Uh, Lamar Jackson had three passing touchdowns. They had, hang on, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. They had, I don't know, 115, it looks like, rushing yards there, and that that's a pretty good rushing team. So, yeah, I mean, Joe, you look at that, you say you... I mean, that, that even a team like the Ravens, where you think that they're a good running team, will try to attack them that way. They were still able to exploit them in the passing game, too. Yeah, I mean, regardless of game script and while, you know, these rankings might be a little skewed because of that, the Browns have a stellar defensive line. Mm-hmm. I mean, Miles Garrett is probably a top five defensive lineman oh, in the yeah, NFL right yeah. now. He's playing his head off. Uh, Sheldon Richardson is extremely talented. Uh, Larry... Ogan Joby, I believe it's pronounced, is a very underrated defensive, kind of a nose tackle guy who's going to plug the inside. And then they have Oliver Vernon on the other side as well. They've invested a lot in that defensive line, and it's paying off. 
if you took a poll right now, Garrett would probably be your defensive player of the year. It's yeah. quite possible. Yeah, I agree. So let's look at our keys to the game for this week. Colts Bear, uh, Colts Browns, rather. Uh, three and one, both teams. It's a uh, later afternoon game broadcast in central Indiana on CBS four. Also, you can tune in there at 1130 AM for our blue zone pregame show. I will be live in Cleveland for the festivities. At least I plan to be, if all goes well, knock on wood. Um, By the way, guys, if you guys could refrain from tweeting, I have a wedding to attend at 430 this Sunday. Oh, so I'm going to watch no. the game when I get home. If oh, you guys want to hold off for me, that'd oh, be yeah, great. That, that'll work. That's <laughs> your, you, you better hide that phone. And, uh, keep the notifications off. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Tough Shut life. it off. Go to the wedding. Exactly. That, like, like that's happened to me once or twice with either games I'm watching or TV shows, you know, that I'm recording. And I just forget about it. You know, yeah. oh, I'm, I'll check Twitter here real quick at work. No, you ruined everything, Dave. What are you doing? <laughs> I'll check my fantasy team and be like, oh, no. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I like I have to like duct tape my phone so I so I don't get to it. But anyway, back to the topic at hand, the Colts Browns this Sunday, a key to the game. Number one, get an early lead. Uh, don't let the Browns focus on their run game. Run, run, run. You try to do what the Browns have done to several of their recent opponents. I mean, get ahead. Make them have to throw the ball. Flip the script, Mike. It, that, that's, it's a recipe that's worked for the Colts the last couple games to be able to get an early lead, even though they're not necessarily pulling away dramatically. But stay ahead, and that just kind of puts the pressure on a little bit the other team, that, uh, that they're going to have to be the ones to play catch-up, which is what the Browns have forced their other, some of their other opponents to do throughout the, first, uh, the last couple weeks of the season. So in, in my opinion, Joe, that, that's – that that's that's one of the biggest keys to to, to this week. Uh, that that the Col- if the Colts get ahead, that could put some pressure on the Browns. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine Baker Mayfield trying to come back from a double double digit deficit against this Colts pass rush and this Colts defense? I mean, Justin, the Browns offensive line has played well, but Justin Houston against a rookie left tackle, I'm going to take that matchup all day. And Mike, I'll I'll, I'll add this to you. The Colts, I saw a stat this week. I I forget who tweeted it, but it was one of, it was somebody who covers the Colts that I think it might've been uh, Stephen Holder, our friend at the athletic who said that the Colts are only blitzing, bringing more than four rushers, like 11 or they're, they're only, it's only like 11% of the time or 12% of the time. They're one of the teams that blitz blitzes the least in the NFL. They've been able to get pressure with that front four. If you're able to get ahead and get pressure with your front four and drop, uh, drop seven guys into coverage, that's a recipe for success. Well, and that's why Dungy's defense worked the way it did, because you had Franny Mathis and some good players inside Raheem Brock and those guys. When you can do it with your front four, that doesn't mean they don't blitz. Like you said, it was 10-11%. So you pick your spots with Kenny Moore or whomever. But when they can get DeForest Buckner and Justin Houston, two guys, two guys up front that can make plays, it makes the back end so much easier. Pass rush specialist Kenny Moore. You got you got to get him in the backfield once or twice every game for sure. He 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 would uh, he would not be happy if he did not have the opportunity well, to do if so. If only just to see the sack dance. Exactly. Yeah, you got to spend your time going to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another key to the game: remain balanced, but. That pass game, and really, as Mike was saying earlier, it's got to deliver. You got to see T.Y. Hilton a couple times here. It's it, and and like I said, I think you kind of saw him last week on that long pass that was ruled a pass interference, which it's kind of the same thing anyway. Like you, you have to take your shots with T.Y. Hilton, Mike. He, he's a guy that deserves he deserves attention from the defense. He deserves targets because of his uh, his pass his pass play in the NFL. He can't be he can't be a ghost, a literal. The ghost needs to uh, to be himself and not just be be absent from the game plan this week. 
we're at 17 games in a row with him not having 100 yards. That's crazy. Including the playoffs. I think his second longest drought is like eight. Yeah. So again, today he's, hey, I'm doing what I'm told to do. I, I control what I control. I'm a team guy. That's fine. He is your with, – with Paris Campbell out, he is your big play guy in the passing game. And I'm not just saying the way, but they've got to get him more involved with eight, nine targets – some of them shots to at least keep the defense honest. Uh, Joe, the Colts only have four passing touchdowns this entire year, which I think kind of points as well to their struggles in the red zone. And, you know, we, we've we've ripped Eric Ebron on this show, we, and justifiably so, in, in my opinion. But you could not argue with his production in the red zone. It's been something that the Colts haven't exactly been able to figure out yet. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I mean, you look at it, only the New England Patriots, the Giants, and the Jets have fewer passing touchdowns. That's not a group you really want to be a part of. The Patriots is skewed because Kim Newton just runs them in yeah. instead of throwing them. But, I mean, they got to get something going. Uh, me and Mike were kind of talking on Monday. They haven't really developed that go-to guy in the red zone this year. Mo Ali Cox, if you're going to pick anybody, has been the most successful. But Philip Rivers has got to kind of find his chemistry with his pass catchers in close. And Mike, I think during the during training camp, we thought Trey Burton was going to be that guy. But first three weeks of the season, he's on IR. He finally returns last week. I mean, you, you can't expect everything to come in one week, but he was probably going to be the guy at the beginning of the season. Maybe we see a little bit more from Trey Burton in the red zone looking forward, but that's just me speculating right now. Well, they had, I bet he had, I didn't get the stats in front of him. I bet he had six or seven targets yeah. at Chicago. So, so they, they will get him involved, in, and it's going to take a week or two to kind of get back to where they were. But again, they're last in the league in, in third down percent, and that's another one that they tried to put the spin on it. They're last in the league in, in third down uh, conversions, 28th or 29th in red zone. And this going forward against some of these teams, you cannot leave points on the field. You can spin things in, in many ways, I've learned during my, during my time in the media. And <laughs> I've, Mike, I've, uh, done that, I've done that often. Exactly. So uh, at, the end of the day, at the end of the day, as Dwight Freeney would say, uh, it's still not, not a great stat to have on your resume. Um, our final key to the game, and maybe we'll add one or two more after that, but win the bonehead play battle, the Andrew Luck bonehead play battle. Don't beat yourself. I would say try to make Baker Mayfield beat himself for sure. Don't beat yourself with turnovers. The Browns force them. They're good at forcing them. They have 10 in four games. They're averaging more than two takeaways every game. Phillip Rivers can't throw the stupid pass. Jonathan Taylor, Joe has to hold on to that football. And he has thus far. And he has completely. Keep doing what you're doing in that vein. Rivers, after week one, has been pretty good. The only interception, that though, that week two interception that kind of bounced off Mo Alley-Cox. Harrison Smith got his hand in there. I think you have to credit him for making a really good play. Week one, we saw what Phillip Rivers uh, is capable of when he's given too many opportunities and told to carry the load. Uh, you, you can't – you you still don't want Phillip Rivers to carry it, – it's a balance. You know, we've been talking about trying to get more things in the passing game and go deep at times, but you can't – you can't do it just to just to do it. There need to you need to pick your spots. You need to create those spots if you're Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni throughout the game with your own scheme. But don't 
beat yourself is what it comes down to. Yeah, they got to keep the defense guessing about what's going on. You get the run game going. You do a few screen passes, um, get T.Y. Hilton going. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of multiple tight end sets now that that group is kind of finally healthy and Burton's been back for a week. And I mean, not to mention the wide receiver injuries that the Colts are dealing with. So if, if Phillip Rivers can just distribute the ball in an accurate fashion and take those few shots and be successful on those few shots, I think the Colts have a great chance to win the game. And geez, Mike, if you don't, if you want to avoid bonehead plays, like you teams that score a lot of points can survive one or two bonehead plays. The Colts have not proven they're a team that can score a lot of points so far this year. Yeah. And you mentioned it with the, the Browns leading the league and takeaways, the stat that just jumps off the page, they have forced 10 fumbles and recovered six. The Colts have fumbled one time this year. Knock on, here we go. Knock on, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll just jinx it. You know, they, and a lot of that takeaway stuff generates from Miles Garrett. He's had, I think, three strip sacks in the last three games. It, it's, it's to run the, to, to, to play the, if you want to call it ugly, they, they'll, they'll take exception. But if you're going to play this way, like you said, you cannot litter the, litter the field with two or three turnovers. And I'm still trying to figure out how Khalil Mack didn't have an interception. Yeah. Is that, is that why he's a pass rusher, not a tight end? Yeah, I think he's still trying to figure it out too. But, but again, you've got, to, you've got to really play clean games to play the way that they're doing it right now. Maybe they keep it up. But again, at some point, you got to score 30 or 35 to win. So game predictions for this week as the Colts visit Cleveland to take on the three and one Browns. Joe did not give a prediction last week because he was slacking off and getting married himself. We like, like Mike and I said last week, you get one week. Right. Well, if that's the best excuse you got, uh, you know, yeah. Well, you know, fine. That's my one. That's my one fellas. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> seriously, by the way, to you and Jess. Thank you. I appreciate it. So game predictions. I'll start off. Joe, you'll, you'll go next. Mike, since you said earlier, you were still deciding, we'll give you a little bit more time to decide and get your, uh, there it is. Beautiful. Ahead. But I'll go ahead. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Browns this week. I'm gonna be the first one on this show to pick someone other than the Colts. So you got y'all can send me your hate mail. I'm at Dave G underscore sports on Twitter. <laughs> Joe is at Roto Street Joe. Mike is at mchapel51. By the way, you can follow us uh, the show at Colts Blue Zone as well for updates throughout the week, including updates on the status of the linebackers and other injuries. I think there's a lot there's a lot of people on the injury report this week for the Colts, and that just scares me. And as we said earlier, Anthony Costanzo especially scares me. If if you have LaRaven Clark going up against Miles Garrett 55 times in one game, that, that should terrify you. And it's I, I can't say right now that's going to happen, but there's a danger of that happening. And on the other side of the ball, there is a danger of them being low on linebackers against the best running game in the league. Sure, Grover Stewart and, and DeForest Buckner are playing really well, stuffing up the middle. But if if the if they can get past that first level, that could be a problem if you have linebackers that are that are out this weekend. So I'm going to pick the Browns. I'm going to go 24 to 17 is going to be my prediction. 24-20 is my prediction. The Browns. Um, I, I think that that. Uh, that's going to be the final score. And for the reasons that I said, Joe, you're next. Man, this is a tough one. Uh, I mean, it comes down to injuries again. If, if Costanzo, especially if Costanzo and Leonard were healthy, I think I would pick the Colts in a close one. I'm going to have to go with the Browns as well. It's in Cleveland. Um, and I think without those play, those two key players, I'm going to go Browns 
21 Colts, 14. Mike's next. I'll make it a sweep. Uh, I, I've got Cleveland 30-24. And, and, and it, the, the defense concerns me, not that they're not legit, but the injuries. I'm just – until the offense proves to me that they've got things fixed – uh, I guess th- th- that indicates they're broken. But, but until they get this stuff straightened out, I don't trust the offense to do what it needs to do in, in what might be a game where it's not going to be again 19-11. So I'm going to go Browns 30-24, and Frank can tell us we're all crazy on Monday if we're wrong. I was going to say, he can come out on Sunday evening, uh, just sit down in front of the Zoom camera and say, how do you like me now? I'd love to be wrong. Yeah, exactly. This feels gross. All three of us pick the Browns. This feels terrible. I I should let Mike go first so I could have picked the Colts. Well, we'll we'll all be back next week and uh, hopefully we'll all be eating a a dose of humble pie. At least if Colts fans uh, have anything to say about it. So we do thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Get this delivered to your podcast listening device week after after week. You can always um, leave a comment and leave us a rating on iTunes as well. That certainly helps us out a bunch and submit questions to us via our Twitter at Colts Blue Zone, and we'll be sure to get to them throughout the podcast. So this has been the latest edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Colts Browns this weekend, a pair of 3-1 squads battling it out for, uh, for supremacy of the week. We'll see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 